It is Mother's Day weekend, and I want to wish every single one of you moms a happy Mother's Day. Proverbs 31, 28, 29, I'm going to read it to you like this. Your children rise up and call you blessed, your husband also, and he praises you. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Welcome to the Unashamedly You podcast, a space to enlighten, encourage, and empower you to go out and unashamedly be who God is calling you to be. I am your host, Jamie Herndon. I pray you hear less of me and more of him as you listen to today's episode. Let's grow together. So we have had a focus on motherhood this month, and this week's episode is no different. We're going to continue our focus on motherhood with Dr. Chelsea Hall. She holds a doctorate of ministry in pastoral counseling and congregational care, a master's in counseling, a bachelor's in music and worship leadership, and she is a licensed marriage and family therapist. So I, for one, am so excited to hear from you today. So I guess I should be saying welcome back to the Unashamedly You podcast, Dr. Chelsea Hall. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much. It's always an honor to join you in the great work that you're doing here on Unashamedly You. And I want to give honor also to you as a mother. Um, it's just an important area of our lives. Motherhood is really, truly one of the highest callings that God gives anyone, motherhood and fatherhood. But motherhood in particular has a lot of weight on it. So I'm really thrilled to be discussing that with you today. You are not a mom or a wife, but you're a licensed therapist with years of training. So how do you give some advice on these things without actually experiencing them? Yes, I am not a mother. <laughs> I do have adopted nieces and nephews and many friends and family and so forth. However, most of the place that I come from is as a licensed marriage family therapist, as a trained pastoral counselor is a lot of information that I've learned, been taught, been trained to do, tools I've learned from other people, taking information from the Bible and all of these places. Sometimes I use an analogy that's a little bit humorous, perhaps a little bit sarcastic, but it does explain the point better than anything else. I don't have to be run over by a truck to help someone who's been run over by a truck. And if you kind of think about it, if I have a broken leg and you have a broken leg, we're both on the sidewalk, do you want me setting your broken leg? Probably not. And it's a little humorous, but the same thing for brain surgery, right? Do you want your surgeon to be well-trained to help heal your brain and to fix that problem and go in and, and do that with knowledge and experience and training? Or do you want someone who has the same problem or the same struggle you do to go in and try to fix that? That doesn't mean that, you know, if your pastor is a parent or something, they can't help you. That's not where we're coming from. But if you're in the middle of a struggle that's part of parenting, then you want someone who's been trained to help you. And so a lot of times that's where I kind of come from and I come from with a lot of curiosity. Not every parenting situation is the same. Not every mother or every child's the same. But if we approach with curiosity and, and knowledge and wisdom, then and the spirit of God, then we can help somebody get somewhere rather than relying on whether or not I understand from the inside. Because if I understood from the inside, I might also be trapped in the same thing. So you are coming from a place of expertise and you're coming from the therapist side, which 
is really good and not just opinion. So as a mom of three, I have learned before I had children, I was a perfect parent. I was a perfect mother. I knew exactly what everyone should do in every situation. Then I become <laughs> a parent of one and I knew exactly what you should do in all of the situations like that child. Then I become a parent of two and realize that your second child's opposite of your first. And so you actually know nothing. <laughs> then I become a parent of a boy. <laughs> All parenting knowledge is out the window. I have said before to moms, I'm like, look, I am really sorry of how I judged you as a mother before I become a boy mom, because I knew what it was like to be a parent of a girl. And then I become a parent of a boy as well, a mom of a boy. And so, yeah, I've, I've learned to, um, that sometimes the expertise side <laughs> um, can go further than opinions and what you just the experience side. So let's talk to your therapist side today and have you speaking to us moms. I cannot wait to hear what you have to say. So I hear this probably more than anything else. It's a word that I have learned to actually cut out of my vocabulary because I don't even know that it's possible, but it's the word balance. And so we hear so many times as women, mom, wife, there's purpose, there's calling, there's ministries, there's jobs, there's all the things that we have. And people are wondering like, how can I balance these things? But even though there's no such thing as balance, in my opinion, there are ways that we can make sure we're not running ourselves down and running on an empty cup and running our household on empty. And we need to pay attention to us as well. So what are some ways that we can do that? Absolutely. I 100% agree with you that balance isn't actually maybe a practical concept, but we do try to use it. I would say that if you want to think about balance like a person on a tightrope, just kind of imagine yourself, you're standing on a tightrope over the Grand Canyon. They never, almost never go without holding some kind of weight in both hands. There's like a long bar and there's weights on both ends. The reason they use that is because it's not just the danger of the tightrope. It's the winds of life. It's the winds of responsibility. It's all these things, the emotions of children, the emotions of husbands, the emotion of all these things that are kind of flowing around you. And there are times when you have to intentionally dip to one side or the other. And so when you think, if you can think of balance in that way, where you have major priorities on both end of your balancing pole. And sometimes you're going to have to choose one in order to balance the other. And then you kind of go back the other way in order to keep from falling. And I think maybe when we think about that, especially in motherhood, you know, research and statistics and hundreds of years of human observation have suggested that if you can identify the two or three core things that are most important to you, then you will be able to have some joy and some maybe even relaxation within the duties that you're carrying out. I know it sounds like a miracle cure, but it is possible to have that because what you're doing is you're saying, instead of like, I have my whole to-do list, I have to get all this done or I'm failing, right? I have to make sure all the kids are happy and they're fed and they're all of these things. I have to make sure my husband, my family, my home parenting, I'm on, we're on a united front, all of these, these issues, church, your responsibilities there. If you can pick the two or three things that are most important to you, especially in a specific season, because there's so many seasons of motherhood, right? Then you can balance those on both ends of that pole and take time to lean. Maybe one day you get a whole bunch of stuff done. Maybe it's laundry got done, the cooking got done, you got food prepped even in the freezer for next week. Like, oh, that was amazing. So you leaned into the utility side of what had to be done. 
but maybe the next two weeks you have to lean into the emotional side because one of your children is having a struggle. Someone bullied them at school. And so for a couple of weeks, you're really leaning into spending time with them. So maybe the laundry piles up a little bit. Maybe the dishes don't get done quite as fast as you'd like to. And you have to choose between, okay, I help my child. Now I got to choose between dishes and bed and prayer. And which one do I choose? And instead of feeling like you have to do them all, choosing one or two of those things helps. The other thing helps is when you do that, you're choosing what matters most to you. And I think one area that a lot of moms are trying to get at, we hear about me time, right? But I think what, what we're realizing as research continues to come out, it's not really about how much time you have for yourself. It's what you're doing within the time that you have. Um, and again, it's kind of similar to balance. But what I mean by that is if you have interests and callings and things that matter to you personally, Maybe your husband doesn't like that music. Maybe your kids don't like that particular worship song, but you love it. Doing those things that affirm you and lead you further into the unique direction God has for you alongside of parenting can be really important. Like we want our children. I, I think, you know, for most mothers, I notice that it's really important for them to be like, okay, I want to do the best for my children. You can use that to hack your brain to also do the best thing for you. <laughs> so you don't have to necessarily change the whole way you're thinking, but shift a little. So you want your child to grow up being the whole person God wants them to be, right? You want them to have friends. You want them to be knowledgeable academically. You want them to be spiritually minded, right? You want all these things for your kids and you want it to be unique for each one of them to what God made them to be, right? So if they don't see you following the unique pattern that God has for you, not just in parenting, but also as a person, then how are they ever going to learn to do that? Now, there's some seasons, especially when they're especially young and when they transition from around, you know, 16, 18, 19, those areas, they need a ton of our time and energy. And so maybe we're not as involved. So a good example is someone who's super involved or like directs the choir. Maybe they have a baby and they step back for a few years because it's just not possible that balancing pole has to lean toward baby. And so that you do that. And then as you're able to, within that time, you still show up. Maybe there's a special song you get to do for a holiday or whatever. You're able to be involved in that. You pray for people, you encourage them, you teach music lessons, whatever happens to work in your schedule. But if you're following what God designed for you, you bring your children with you instead of feeling like you have to separate being the mom and also doing those things. It's messy. It's not perfect. And it's frustrating. But if you're doing what matters to you, with the time that you do have, then when you are able to take five or 10 minutes of me time, it's 10 times more fulfilling than if you're constantly just trying to take that me time to just be like, okay, I can breathe. I can be a person for 10 minutes rather than being able to practice other ways of being that person outside of that as well. I love that you said you can mix the two. So I think when I become a mom, I'll just speak from my personal experiences here. And when I become a mother, after two to three years into that, um, you know, and by the time I had my second baby, I was asked the question, like, what do you do? What do you like to do? And I'm like, I'm a mom. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not that being a mom isn't fulfilling. It's not important. It's not a great role. I think in society nowadays, we try to, we try to push ourselves as far as being a mom is so important and motherhood and being a stay you know, if you stay home or just raising your kids in general is just so important. But speaking from the church perspective, I don't feel like that we have to have that guard up all the time and that we have to feel like that we're having to explain that motherhood's important. Every right. mother should know <laughs> that raising kids in this crazy world is the most important job. 
but there's also who are you and what do you like and what are the things about you? What fills you up? I didn't know. I lost who I was when I first became a mom, because all I knew was taking care of Ada and then Evie. But when they asked that question, I'm like, who am I? What do I like to do? What are my hobbies? Like, surely I'm something besides just, you know, doing this. And surely there's something about me that I like. And I had to learn how to find myself again and things that I liked again. I, I caught myself sometimes at church feeling on the outside and on the outskirts because I might would be out with the baby and then you're, you know, you're nursing. And I know all those things are just seasons, but they're really opportunities for the devil to work in your mind to get you thinking on the outskirts and that you're on the outside or that you're not a person and that you're not important and that you don't have an important role other than just this one thing. And so yeah. I love that you said doing what you want to do and mixing the two, bringing the babies to choir practice or doing things that are still staying true to yourself as well. Absolutely. I think one of the most popular ways that used to be done, I know we've kind of gotten away with this from a little bit with COVID, but one of the most wonderful ways that you can do this is by inviting people into your home. And I know we usually think of like perfect house, but honestly, people, especially if you're discipling someone, they're not looking for perfection. They're looking for something real. Someone who says, you know, the doorknobs might not shine, but my children's eyes shine instead. You know, the time that the way we think about God and like, you know, putting that first and that's important. And I think one of the things that sometimes we do is we underestimate what parenting is or what part of parenting you most connect with. Every personality is going to connect a little bit different with parenting. There's going to be stuff you love and stuff you hate or phases you really enjoy and phases you don't. But there's a saying in the Bible, it's actually a scripture, but it was also used originally as a Jewish saying. And it says, raise up your child in the way it should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. Well, if you look back at the original language and the way that they use that, they didn't just mean raise him up in the truth, because we know that you can raise a child in the truth. And sometimes they do choose to depart later on. So it wasn't a promise about salvation. It was a promise about that child's own bent, their nature, the way God designed them to be. Well, for many moms, you find that there are differences <laughs> in their bent versus yours. But if you parent within your bent with an eye to their bent, you're going to find that you can start releasing some of the pressures from the outside of what that parenting has to look like. For some moms, parenting does look like crafting all day because that's their absolute favorite thing to do and their kids enjoy it too. But for some, it's not going to. For some, it's going to be they come home from work and they get a good half hour with their kids before it's bedtime. And so it's more about embracing right where you are doing what you can with what you have and bringing your kids with you. A lot of times we hear a lot about gentle parenting. We hear Montessori parenting. We hear all these different ways of parenting. And one of the things that most of those have in common is they're child-centered. From a biblical perspective, as well as a therapeutic perspective, it's never healthy for the child to be the center of the home. Jesus needs to be the center of the home. Research would say the shared passion or point of the parents and the family. Well, we know as Christians what that is, needs to be the center of the home. And then the children are brought along with it. And what that does is you're training the kids how to do things by how you're doing it and by how you involve them. And so they start to feel competent. They start to feel that they're part of something much bigger than themselves. Or if we focus just on that child and making sure they're happy or their phase dominates the home, that's too much pressure. It's too much um, responsibility. 
and they feel that and they get anxious and frustrated and they become very demanding and very fussy and frustrated. That's not the only reason children become fussy and frustrated, of course, but when we have them as the guide, it's really frustrating. It's easy to fall into because when they're a baby, it kind of has to be that way with schedule. <laughs> but as they get older, it's very easy when we're tired, worn out. You mentioned, you know, like, I don't have any idea who I am. I've given up all this time and this energy to this child. Then it can be very easy for us to fall into that. And I think one of the ways God designed us to do that is to have community of mothers, community, even within the people we're discipling and receiving their support back. So inviting someone into your home or spending time with them or going out, you know, occasionally making arrangements. I know that's hard to do, but it's worth it. Even if it's only once a month to go out and do something that you really care about and getting, you know, your husband obviously needs to be on board or your co-parent, whoever that happens to be. But that can be really, really important to who you are, bringing your child with you so that we don't raise Hophni and Phinehas who were committing atrocities in the house of God because they hadn't been brought along with. That's why Samuel succeeded. He was brought along with the sacrifices. Hophni and Pinhas were not. Wow. And you were talking about bringing people into the home and, and things like that. But as women, we play a huge role in like the atmosphere and in the tone of our homes. And um, what are some things that you have seen work in making sure your home atmosphere is positive? I know as a mom and as parents, my husband and I have said often that, you know, we're training these children and we're bringing them along with these things. And <laughs> Sometimes it's constant, do your homework, do this. Like, I feel like I'm constantly clean your room, do this, do that. It's just all the things they have to do, have to do, have to do. And sometimes I think I don't want it to feel like I'm nagging or griping or, you know, I am training them up and there you have to, to make them do these things. But I also want my atmosphere of my home to be positive and to be loving and to be a place of reassurance, not just always of the things that they need to be doing. And do you have anything on making sure that the atmosphere and that tone of our homes is a positive place for our kids? Absolutely. And I really appreciate that transparency you're sharing and like how that feels. Cause I think so many, I should say, I know so many mothers can relate to that. You know, in my practice, I talk with people about this all the time. It's just this sense that we want to so much. We want our atmosphere to be a certain way. We know that that rests on us, whether that's fair or equitable or just or not. That's just how it is. Mama ain't happy. Ain't nobody happy. Um, and we laugh, but it's true. And so when you know that, that that stewardship of your home specifically and that environment is yours, it can feel like a lot of pressure. So one, always team up with God. I know that's very difficult to do in the day. Even if it's five minutes, you kind of set an early alarm and take them five minutes to be like, okay, God, I may not have an hour today, but I'm, I want to set the intention for how I want my home to be today. And you pick one. And sometimes that intention might be flexible as bamboo, so I don't break. And that might be that intention for a while. And you kind of flex with what's needed. And it really, it's about your person. To put it succinctly, your personal self is what sets the tone. Again, that sounds like more pressure, but I'm going to explain in a minute how you can do that. But how you speak to your children is generally an echo of how you speak to yourself. The same goes for me. The same goes for anyone else around anybody, but especially your own children. They have a biological connection to you. You walk in the room, they start feeling what you're feeling. You do the same for them. So we can't always hide our feelings. <laughs> but what we can do is, again, that balancing act we talked about earlier, but really pay attention to how we speak to ourselves. Do you? sometimes put yourself down? Do you speak negatively? 
a good example is there's been a ton of research on body image and that's all goes directly back to how our mothers spoke about themselves or how they spoke about others. And that might sound like a lot of pressure and it's not meant to be. It just is the fact. And if you think about it, motherhood is so important. A prolific preacher in like the 1800s, he named Charles Spurgeon. I'm sure all of us have heard of him at one time or another, had a quote and he said, I learned more about Jesus from my mother than I did from all the preachers in Christendom. And that doesn't mean you can't learn from a preacher um, or from their pastor or any of those places, but that you learn how to use it from home. When you're holding that baby, as it starts to learn the difference between other and self, it learns it from you. You're the face of Jesus to your baby. You're the face of what relationships look like. You're the face of what their self looks like. So how you talk to them is who they become. Now, not always, there's exceptions to every rule, but how you talk to them shapes them. Now, eventually they get to a point, they're older teens, they start choosing on their own. But until then, that's really important. And I I'm, I'm, know I'm kind of hammering the importance of that, but I think what happens is when we realize that our words directly impact, we start being a little bit more careful of our words. And we maybe choose to say less words first as we pay attention to what words are actually coming out of my mouth. And there's a couple ways to do that. One is if you're feeling stressed and frustrated, Tell the kids, your mommy's going to take about two seconds or you just step out for a second or you breathe for a moment. You kind of go, what am I feeling? Because they're going to feel what I'm feeling. If I'm feeling frustrated, maybe need a glass of water. Hey, guys, let's all have a glass of water. Hey, guys, let's all take a moment. You know, can we pray for a minute? I really think our day needs to turn around. And when you take that moment to do whatever that is, whether it's breathing, talking to yourself, write something down, remember your intention for the day, whatever that happened to be, you're taking a moment to check in for you. And when you check in for you, you're able to respond to them in a different way because those positive words really, really matter. And I think a lot of times we fall into neutral words like, okay, this needs to be done. And this needs to be done. Like you said, homework and keeping up with a never ending schedule. And there's sometimes where sitting is more emotionally important than the homework. And I think that gets complicated because we hear a lot, like you're supposed to spend all this time with your kids, right? And they've discovered something in, in research. It's not about the time. It's not even about the length of time. It's about the quality of the time you're spending. So if you're able to spend, I believe the research was five minutes, just five minutes with each kid alone every day, they start to reduce behavioral symptoms. They start to increase their own emotional awareness and they start to feel more confident and you feel better as well. But the idea with that is it doesn't have to be very long. It just has to be that you chose to spend that time. That's a sacrifice to plan it. But once you plan it, you have it in a routine. Then you can release some of this pressure where like, I'm folding laundry, but I have to fold it right next to my kid so we can read a book at the same time. The kid knows you're not focused. You know you're not focused and all you're getting is more stress. Sometimes that works, but many times, you know, it's important for you to be able to just fold the laundry and just do one thing at a time. Does that kind of make sense to kind of how you can kind of move toward this positive direction is really slowing down, paying attention to what's happening And for a lot of moms, it's actually sitting down and taking time to write something, write out how you feel if you're having a hard time, if everything's really overwhelming. But it's really about those positive words and influencing, kind of making a way to take it in. You don't have to listen to baby shark all day long. (laughs) I think we sometimes (laughs) feel like that just because the kid likes baby shark, right? But you don't have to do that. You can play a gospel song and they will dance to that just as much as they do baby shark. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, Ezra, he picks the music uh, these days. So he can tell, hey, Google, and he'll just like tell it stuff to play. And we're like, we don't want to hear this song again. <laughs> but that is so good. And I love how you said the one-on-one time, even five minutes, because I think I, like I said, I'll just go off of experience for myself, for myself personally, whenever you hear, like, you need to take this time, we think 30 minutes, an hour, like, and then you're like, well, I don't have that much time, but we all have five minutes in our day, just going in and sitting down and talking. And also as a parent of three, three very different personality children, I have learned like my oldest needs more one-on-one time. She just does. I don't know if it's because for all those years, you know, she was an only child for almost three years. Well, then it takes like two years for your other baby to start speaking. (laughs) So she's almost five and she ran the household for the first five years. So I think she doesn't really, she, she needs that for whatever reason. But we have learned, my husband and I both have said, when we take just that five minutes, just, hey, you want to go on a walk? Hey, you know, sitting down and saying, how was your day today? How did things go? And just letting her talk and just having that one-on-one conversation. She's totally different with all the other things that she needs to do that day. But when we don't have those minutes and those moments alone, and we don't have, she doesn't have our undivided attention Sometimes the other things that we need to have done that day don't go as smoothly. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, It's it's like our time with God, right? When we spend time with God, we feel different and better. Our children, we're the representation of God to them. We're their security. We're their peace. We're their reflection, the place where they can figure out like, yeah, that's me or no, that's not. And so if they don't have that time with us, and that's where we go back to those like specific priorities, right? Like if you can spend at least you know, if you need more time, each child's going to need different, like personality wise, the way our brains wired, we're all going to need something different. But if you can spend at least the five minutes and prioritize that no matter what, it is a sacrifice. It does take coordination with your spouse. It takes coordination with the other kids. But if you can make that happen, they've also proven studies where you feel less stress because you're like, okay, this is my one thing. This, if I get this done today, I'm succeeding. That helps a lot. And then the other thing is it proves that their ability to remember, their ability to hold who they are as as a person, their identity is actually increased throughout their childhood and adulthood because they know who they are. They've done longevity studies on this stuff. And it's really incredible to see that where sometimes we can put all the information, make sure they do all their homework perfect, but we don't get that time in. That time is, is really the most important thing. It's the lifeline to who they become where if we don't have that time consistently over long periods of time, we end up with adults and young adults who have no idea who they are because there's not been a consistent connection. And again, sometimes we've grown up this way. Maybe if an older parent is hearing this, like, oh man, I missed it. Like, don't, don't take that as though it's over. Try now. You know, if you haven't done it before, just start now. It's, it's, there's always a chance for repair with children, no matter how old they are. I love that. That is so so good. And something that I'm going to personally implement even more, but we've been asked a question lately on a topic that can be, can I say something before you jump in? Yeah. There's one thing I would have added. And that's one of the tips that helps us to kind of connect with ourselves and our faith as moms is to actually, well, I say us, but I say that because I include myself as a human. Hopefully someday I'll be a mom. So we'll fix that. One of the things that helps every mom and every dad, every parent, every child 
is if there's a particular intention you're trying to set for your home, you want it to be peaceful, you want it to be whatever, there will be behavioral challenges that you're facing if you're shifting from some, a stress-related environment where everybody's just surviving. So when that happens, if you can take scriptures or that intention and what those behaviors look like and stick it on hot pink or hot blue or hot purple or whatever really bright colored cards, even if the kids can't read, put a sticker on it. But putting those in each room at different eye levels, at different heights, where you'll see it throughout the day, or maybe repeat multiple scriptures if the kids are older, it serves as a visual reminder that you're doing this together as a family and you're discussing this together. And so if someone's struggling and you're like, all right, we've talked about this for four days, they know what they need to do. You can go and point to that card and say, hey, how can I help you do this today? Or you can point to it for yourself, be like, oh yeah, how can I help myself do that today? Sometimes that can be a helpful way. That's such a great idea. I've never, I've never actually heard to do that. We're about to have bright cards all over our house. <laughs> Go ordering on Amazon now. <laughs> so we have been asked a question lately. I've been asked it more than one time, and I'm just going to directly state the question that I was asked. And it was on they would like for us to speak on the topic of how to become a better stepmom. Um, they said it's something that's not talked about a ton. They're not the birth mom, but they're still the mother figure and they're impacting the life as well. And I know that this is a very important topic and it's a topic that I'm sure, like I said, we've been asked the question multiple times. So I'm sure more than just the people that have asked the question would like to know this as well. Is there a way that you could speak on this? Absolutely. It's a really important topic because there's so many families that are blended today, whether it's by choice, whether it's not, whether a, a parent passed away or whether there's divorce in the picture. There's so many different challenges and my heart goes out to every step parent because not only are you dealing with challenges in your own experience, but you're dealing with challenges that you're inheriting or that you're experiencing. So you have an extended system of parenting that you're dealing with. And you can really make a huge difference in a child's lives. There's so many step parents that have stepped in and filled the role of an emotional parent when the bio parent wasn't able to do that for whatever reason, whether it was mental health or death or sickness or just their own life struggles is trying to get through. And that can be such a wonderful ministry that you're serving to that child, as well as maybe one of the most challenging. So I'm really glad that we're talking about that. One of the things that sometimes we go as Christians, we go to the Bible, for examples, we don't see too many descriptions of step parenting in the Bible. I don't think that's because it wasn't there. If you look back at the historical context and research, what they describe is extended families, because especially in the Old Testament, there were so many families that had multiple, you know, one man would having multiple wives. And can you imagine trying to do that kind of parenting? right? Each child has their own mom and all this situation going on. And we see the struggles with that, with like uh, Rachel and Leah, right? Um, and there tends to be favorites. And then that causes challenges and jealousies and struggles. We also see that with the prophet Samuel and his mother, Hannah, and then the other parent in the story, the other mother, Penina, and how they were treating each other badly. That's how that unfortunately usually happens to be in many stepchildren's experiences is that there's one parent that can't one step a step parent doesn't always get along with the with the bio parent and so they're going back between, forth between these two homes and they're feeling the stress and this displacement so also a reminder that joseph was a step parent for jesus so he did have that jesus had this experience as well so he has the answers 
So just kind of a reminder in your faith there. But one of the important things for step parents is really understanding that you're an addition to a system that was already functioning by its own rules when you got there. So systems greater than the sum of its parts. Now we sound like we're going back to math. But the idea is every group grouping in a family has a specific emotional and and connection, like a power dynamic. And when you join that, you're often joining at a bit of a disadvantage. Even though you may not be the cause of all the separations and so forth, you're still at that disadvantage because you're the newbie, right? You're coming in. And you can play to that newness and be curious and be like, hey, teach me how you usually do things um, on some things that works well. If there's already something that is going well, that's a system that's working. But what if the system's not working, right? <laughs> what if you're like, uh, I see where this thing could be done better, right? Or I see how this could be done different. So that can be a big challenge. And I think one of the most important things for every mother to remember, step or otherwise, is repair over perfection. It doesn't matter how many times you fail a child or even sometimes how badly. Research really has shown this, even in situations of domestic violence, children don't want to be separated from their parents. They don't because that's their familiar. That's the people they're biologically and emotionally tied to. Now, the cool thing for a step parent is that you can become an another physical and emotional tie by how you cultivate trust with them. And you're going to make mistakes. You're go- there's going to be stuff that, that you don't know. There's going to be a tradition that you blow on their first birthday that you're in the family or their fifth birthday and you forgot because the house has been crazy, right? There's going to be those moments, but you can repair those. And it's the repair that matters. Sometimes we flub things up and we're just like, man, I feel really bad. We talk to our co-parent, we talk to our spouse and we talk to God and we just talk to our friends. And we're just like, I'll try better. I'll do it better next time. But we don't actually go back to the kid and be like, hey, you know what? I really feel like I, I've hurt that one. I feel like I messed up a connection, a way to connect with you, a way to lead you forward in a good way. And I, I feel like I might have messed that up. And I'm, I want to ask how you feel about that. And I want to say I'm sorry. And I want you to know I'm committed to responding to you in a different way. It takes a lot of courage because you don't know how they're going to respond. And they might respond with, I hate you. That's okay. Easy for me to say, I know. But that isn't acceptable in the sense that it doesn't actually mean they hate you for one thing. For another thing, what happens is they're trying out emotions on you to see if you can maintain a consistent response, a consistent loving response in spite of their pain, because somewhere someone couldn't. And so you get the chance to be Jesus. You know how we mess up in front of him all the time? He doesn't hate on us. He's like, okay, well, you might be a little separated from my favor for a moment. Just like the child who says, I hate you is separated from your favor. They're not, you're not enjoying them right now. But you don't say that to them. You say, hey, come closer. Come back to me. I love you. I care about you. I want to make this right. Now, children don't always come to you as easily as we come to God, <laughs> but the concept is there. And in, in therapy, some of the th- tips and tools that we learn is repair, going back and, and admitting you don't have to have all the right words and they may not respond super well, but the goal for you is not for them to respond the way you want. As a step parent, you have to focus on investing, pouring in over and over and having your cheering support team that you go to that keeps you going. Because what you're doing is you're making emotional investments in their bank 
so that later you can make withdrawals when they need you to, right? Because they're going to need correction at some point. And this is one of the hardest things for step parenting is that you, this has been proven with statistics. This is a research item. This is not my personal opinion. This isn't a uh, tradition. This is unfortunately very true. We come in, we want to make a difference. Where do we usually start making changes in the discipline and the consequences section? And as a step parent, I have to advise you not to do that. Don't be the heavy until you have had enough emotional investments to make a withdrawal. Because a lot of times what happens is we feel pressure to be the best parent we can for them. And so we immediately start making changes and that child has not developed enough trust that we're going to be the same person and be there for them all the time. They can't, they've been in a chaotic environment. So you're stepping in, be loving, be kind. If there has to be consequences, let them be those natural ones. You're like, well, I really wish we could do something else, but you know, the rules in the house, be a united front with your spouse or with your co-parent, whoever that is, but show up and be honest and be sincere and be consistent. And that can take a year. It can take longer than a year with some children, especially if any sort of trauma is involved. But if you can show up and be consistent, then as time goes by, you, you cooperate with their parent, with their bi other bio parent that you're married to, and you work together and you present a united front on parenting. If they disagree, don't talk about it in front of the kids, talk about it behind closed doors, work that out. It's okay for them to see disagreement on other things, not on parenting. <laughs> you need to work that part out behind doors, get help if you need to, read books, whatever. But then when you make changes together, that parent knows them, that bio parent has some background with them that automatically gives them an ace. So that also means that they're going to need to possibly be the heavy on the discipline side until there's enough emotional investment. How do you know when there's been enough emotional investment? It's a little bit different for every child. It can be that they're responding to you. That can be they're coming to you when they're frustrated that can be a good sign that they're starting to develop that consistency, that trust. But the number one thing really is just pour in the love and get yourself a support team. Could be your friends. Uh, make sure they're wise friends though. <laughs> it could be another person in the church that has been a stepmom for a long time or that has worked with a stepmom and kind of has some knowledge that can kind of support with you. Could be a therapist or a counselor. Could be your pastor. But make sure you have that support team you can go to. They're like raw rawing you on, not just commiserating. One thing that you have been talking about is on the discipline and, you know, making those deposits. I think that works for both step parent and, you know, a birth mom, because with myself, and sometimes it goes back to that one-on-one -on -one time when you're spending those times and those are deposits that you're making and making yes. those positive deposits into them. So whenever it comes time to get something else done, sometimes I'll use the phrase and I'll say, you know, you want this, 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 and I have done this, 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 and now it's your turn, yes. <laughs> you know, it's uh -huh. your turn. It's your turn to make some deposits into this family. <laughs> um, it's important. Yeah. To have that, that give and take and that go back and forth. And, and also as a step parent, you need to make sure that you have time where you step aside and just be the you that you are and where you also become the parent that you are not just the parent that you think you need to be or that you think the child needs, but be who you are, right? Show up as, you know, some parents are uh, a bit you know, more relaxed. And if you can be a relaxed parent, great. Some parents are a little bit more, you know, scheduled and that's great, be that person. But when you're a step parent, you're kind of adapting that to a system that's already there. So be as curious as you can with younger children. Sometimes it helps to tell them literally, I'm, I'm exploring. 
how this family works. And I'm not trying to replace anybody. I just want to be another supportive person in your life. I love you. I want to be there for you. But I kind of need you to let me know how to do that. Now, you can do that with probably from seven, six or seven on up. You can share it with a five-year-old. They probably won't have many suggestions. You'll have to come up with suggestions. But it also really works for anyone over 10 really, really well because you consistently show that interest. Like, I want to know what you feel like you need from me. And if they give you, I want ice cream every weekend, <laughs> then you can ask them a question back, put it on them. Like, well, is that what your other parents give you? Do you think that's a good idea? Uh, because there is the challenge that there's different parenting in different households. And so it's okay to be consistent. It's also okay to be like, you know, these are the family. This is the way we do the family in this house. So if you don't like something, come to me, tell me, and I'll do my best to address it. But if it crosses some of the rules we've set for the house, then we need to think about how we can get your needs met in other ways. Because there's predictable consequences for everybody. So I, I, I think you're right. It works for everyone, step-parent or otherwise. I think just maybe the pressure on the step-parent may be a little bit more intense in terms of like trying to figure out what a parent might do in like five or 10 years. They're figuring that out and, and maybe a, a space of five weeks or trying to, which again, you can't do that. Be consistent, play the long game. <laughs> Don't expect it to go super well at first. It can take a couple of years before someone actually shows you the impact of what you're doing. In our family, my husband has a stepfather and he came into his life when he was 16. And so he always talks about that his stepdad just, he stayed back. Like he just allowed his mom to continue to run the household. She continued. I don't think he, he didn't have any problems with her being a disciplinary. <laughs> she, <laughs> she stepped into that role as a, you know, as a single mom and she was raising two really great kids. And so he was already 16, but he said, you know, I can only imagine with me trying to find, you know, trying to lean into growing up and to becoming a man and all those things. And if he would have come in and said, no, I'm the man of this household. And I'm, he said, I can imagine that things could have went a really different direction for us and for our relationship, but he come in and essentially left things how they were running and left things how they were and respected Matt as a young man. And he said that he has so much respect for him. He said he always respected him, even as a young person, but as an adult, looking into what he could have done versus what he did has made his respect for him grow more. And I know that we're talking about mothers because we're predominantly women are listening to unashamedly you. And that is our focus, but it could go both ways women, you know, stepmom or stepdad coming into the picture. He said, you know, he just left the household running how it was. And he was just a support group there. And he was there for, you know, the more fun things and things like that. And so Matt said that it just caused him to respect him even more because he respected Matt and he respected his stance in the house. And being the celebrator, start by being the praiser. Sometimes it helps people to think of being you know, when we're talking in a secular phrase, we say, think of being that really encouraging teacher that shows up, that helps you learn some skills sometimes when it's appropriate and just kind of comes up, but they're not forcing anything. They're just there for you every day and they support you. They praise you and you do well. They kind of point out, hey, that's not going to work for you. Maybe, maybe if you try it this way, um, if you're open to it. But in church, sometimes it helps to think of like a Sunday school teacher 
someone who's encouraging and, and supportive, someone and support your spouse. If you're a wife who has a stepfather as your husband, you know, stepfathering for your children or vice versa, either way, you're the, you're, if you're the step parent, be the praiser, be the encourager of not only the child, but of your spouse. And as you do that, that's one way to get like, that's one way to make mega deposits at the beginning and continuing throughout. Like those are mega deposit moments when you're praising and supporting and it doesn't mean that you can't be involved, especially, you know, some situations. I'm, I'm so glad that, you know, Matt's experience was so awesome. Sometimes somebody steps into a situation where the parenting is not going so well, where the system that's running is running, but it's not working. And if that's the case, I do encourage you to connect with a parenting support expert of some kind to help you have an outside view to make sure you're not missing anything, but also to make sure that you for that first year or so, just kind of connect, be the praiser, be the supporter. If you haven't done that, you've been part of the family for more than that, just start now. And then you can assist to make changes. But you coming in on your own is more than enough change before you attempt behavioral change or attempt to make things better in some way. I know there's a lot of pressure to do the opposite, but play the long game. God's there. You can recover from things. Just make sure you do the repairing and the consistency. Great, great advice. So I think one thing as a mom in general, stepmom, birth mom, anything, mother of a newborn versus a mother of a grown child, um, something that I feel like that we all would agree on is you want to raise confident children in who God is calling them to be, where they are confident to go after those things. I have talked to my husband many times and I'm like, how can I make sure as a mother that I am raising children, my girls and my son to, to be willing to step up and to go after what God's calling them to do and to become who God is calling them to be in a confident way. Could you speak on that? Maybe some tips for us moms that are wanting to raise our children to go after and to be all that God is calling them to be. Absolutely. And I appreciate you bringing up that topic because it is valuable. And I think there's going to be times with you as the parent, if you're making room for God to work in your mind as a parent, like, okay, God guide me for this particular child. You know, if you think about children as an orchard of different kinds of trees, I might have a pear tree, a peach tree, and then I have a mango tree and they all need completely different care. And it's a lot to think about, but if you can see yourself as the parent that God's spirit is channeling through that his resources are channeling through you. So you don't have to be the one with all the answers, but God's giving you the answers and the direction for that child on a daily basis as you go back and forth in your relationship with that person, um, with that with that child or that teen or that young adult. Because believe me, parenting doesn't stop when you're a young adult. I, I feel like there's days where I've needed more from my mother as a grown adult than I did maybe when I was five and maybe more complex things because more complex things continue to happen. And if you have a good bond with your parent, guess who you're going to, to talk to about your situations. And I think that's one of the things that is really important to realize that research proves is that confidence has a direct relationship to how connected and how safely connected you feel to your parents or to whoever your guardian caretaker, whoever that person was. And, you know, for many of us, it might not be a parent. It might be a foster parent or someone who fills in as that emotional parent, whoever that happens to be. In this case, we're talking about mothers. Um, so if you fill the mother role, or if you are a mother to someone, um, be the resource that God flows through. Those resources flow through you to that person. 
Um, so take some of that pressure off to know it all. <laughs> but in terms of confidence, them being able to come to you and say anything at all, anything, that you are a safe space, that your first reaction is not to tell them how you feel or not to react to what they said, but to say, tell me more about that. What's going on with that for you? Like, wow, how are you feeling about that? Because usually our first reaction is to either try to fix it, right? Or to love on them, or we think, well, you do know them really well. So we assume we know what they need. But sometimes what they need more than anything is to be able to explore that with you. Uh, they may not even know what they're thinking or feeling about whatever that situation might be. And sometimes they're not gonna come to you, right? They're young. You've gotta go to them and sit down with them and be like, okay, we had our tantrum earlier. What's going on? You angry, you frustrated? Confidence in a child partially comes, and as a grown adult, as they continue to pursue what God wants for them, comes partially from them knowing who they are, but that comes from knowing who you are and, and showing up for them, allowing them to be that person, be that, I guess a good example would be to be a container. So you can come and they can throw up their feelings on you, right? Just verbally, just all over you, they're going to, and you can either dust it off and try to fix it and pretend it's not there and dust them off and be like, okay, you're fine. You're fine. Or we can have a container that we scoop it up off of ourselves, dump it in the container for them to actually look at and figure out. And we kind of explore it together like scientists and be like, Hey, what's going on? Because what you're doing when you do that, you're giving them emotional words, you're giving them thought words, you're helping them figure out a way to understand what's happening. And then they can make changes. You can make changes together instead of it just coming top down. Hey, don't do this. Um, but when you do that, you're developing confidence in them because they're learning to explore who they are. That means when they get in a conflict with someone else, that's what they're going to do. They're going to put on their explorer hat and they're going to start exploring what's happening. Why is it happening? As an example that we often use on the playground, if your kid comes up to you, says, Susie bit me and they're mean, is our first reaction, Susie shouldn't do that, which we might feel, right? Totally unjustifiable. Or do we say, what happened? Why do you think that happened? And kind of explore what actually the whole details, because even if Susie really did bite them, we're not gonna lose nothing by finding out the details. Your child feels heard and listened to and validated. And sometimes that's all they need. Sometimes they're like, okay, I'm off to play now and they don't need you to fix it. They just needed to be acknowledged that they were a person and they had an experience. So when you feel that validation, you become more confident because you go anywhere in the world knowing my parent believes in me. The other one is by praise not praise for stuff they didn't deserve, but praise when they do well. It's so easy to get caught up on what they don't do well. But if you literally spend time saying that, there's a, a statistic that was discovered with couples, but it also works true in families for parents and children. And that statistic is for every negative interaction that you have with them, like truly negative, not just like, you know, oops, I stubbed my toe. Oh, I'm sorry. I left my shoe in the way. Not like that, but, but like a really serious negative emotional interaction or every negative word like, why did you do that? You shouldn't have done that, right? Without any sort of dialogue. When we do that, it takes at least seven to 14 positive words to repair what happened with that one negative one. And I think that can be really valuable. A lot of people find that really helpful to know because then you can kind of keep track. Like, am I leaving a positive experience? Am I making those deposits we talked about? Am I, you know, in the Bible talks about guarding our words, guarding our hearts, noticing what's coming out, because not just for ourselves, which helps, because we're going to have a more positive outset, we're going to feel better, 
but also for those little children that are growing up, we can build their confidence by like, hey, mom believes I can do anything or anything with help or anything with God. Mom believes in me. Mom cares about my feelings. Um, Mom's the place I can go when I'm really upset. I can go to mom even when I'm mad at her and she'll hear me out before she responds to me. Those two things, praise and being consistently available to their feelings first, not to how you think about those feelings, help create a confident young person. And I think maybe the only, the third other thing we can statistically predictably say actually helps with confidence is helping them ask questions and build that themselves, explore who they are. When you go on a date with them and they're six or seven, let them pick where they want to go. You know, if it's affordable, of course, give them options and then be like, Hey, that's such a cool option. You know, we all had such a wonderful time. Ask them questions about their themselves. You can put, there's question cards you can buy all over the internet. Um, my favorite that I tend to recommend is um, one from a place called Cultivate What Matters. It's called the Family Conversation Card Set or just the Conversation Card Set. There's two of them. But those two were partially developed by Christians, so they tend to avoid controversial questions. Um, but you can have those and sit down at the dinner table instead of just asking, how was your day? Or what were the good things? What were the bad things? And giving equal attention, you can pull out cards from different categories like today or fun or yesterday and that sort of thing. And it can be really powerful because you're giving them practice being a person and finding out what they like. And that confidence comes from there. And then of course, as Christians, confidence comes from God. So those questions and those thoughts need to be, you know, included. Our scriptures and our thing, those things bring us confidence. The Holy Ghost, being baptized, all those things bring confidence, being competent. But your praise for what they do well helps them see where they're competent. And that helps lead to confidence. So good. So good. I love so much that you're saying. I know that it has been a blessing to so many. It has definitely been a blessing for me. Where are some ways to find your resources? Someone may be listening to this and think, I need her. I need her help. I need what she was talking about earlier. Where can they find you? Oh, absolutely. They can go to my website. It's veritaspastoralcounseling.com. Veritas is a Latin word. It's spelled V-E-R-I-T-A-S. Pastoral counseling as normal word veritas just means truth and kind of embracing his truth in the middle of the truth of where we're at. Or you can call my phone number 510-512-2353. Either of those will lead you to a way to connect. And I'd be glad to support and encourage and, you know, help you to find the way that God has for you. So as a therapist to a mom that is listening to this, what are some words of advice that you may would leave to a mom that is they're just needing some help validating who they are as a person and as a mom that they are enough to their kids. You are already enough, even if you don't think you are. And I always say with addition that you are enough with God because no human is truly enough. Every mom that I've talked to, every father, we all try to convince ourselves that we personally are enough and we keep failing and we keep feeling anxious because if we put it on us and our knowledge and what we've prepared for, that's all good. We need to do those things, but we're going to keep struggling. But if we say, I am enough with God, it helps us to go forward because you don't really, I mean, you can survive and be an amazing parent without all these resources we're talking about. If you follow, truly follow, sit down and listen to um, what God's giving you, sit down and truly listen to your child. But if you're struggling, feeling like you're enough as the parent you are, you are. You are enough. Your child loves you. That's all they require from you. And love is shown to a child by repair, by praise, and just by your presence. 
even if all you do is sit down and literally eat the one bag of French fries that you could afford and tomorrow you're not sure about the rent. As long as you have that love for each other, they will be glad to go through anything with you. They might grouch sometimes, sure. But that is enough for them is to have you. So if you can work on you and be the best you you can be, that's all they need you to do. So I am enough with God. I love that in every situation saying I am enough with God. So unashamedly, you community, say that out loud. Tell yourself that often. I am enough with God. I hope that you all have a great day. Thank you so much, Chelsea, for being on here and sharing so much of your knowledge with us. It's definitely been an amazing journey having you on this podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much for every single one of you that take time week after week and let us know how a podcast episode has blessed or helped you. So just for being an amazing audience, we're going to do a giveaway. I've decided to give away a free coaching session to someone that goes on Spotify or Apple, gives us five stars and a review. You just screenshot it, send it to us, and you're automatically entered. You may say, what do I need a coaching session for and what are we going to do? This coaching session that I do shows you how to go from a scarcity mindset to an abundance. I'm going to show you ways that you can change your thinking just slightly and you will learn that certain situations don't always have to feel scarce, but God wants you to have abundance. I cannot wait to see who wins. Thank you so much again for every single review, every single comment, all of you that come and let me know how the podcast has blessed you. Honestly, from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you. Happy Mother's Day weekend to you amazing women. I love you guys.